Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Thursday, June 15th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there. Definitely worth your while. Uh, I want to continue to point you at the final two links in our show notes. The first one of them is the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Sing, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school. That is to provide a trustworthy alternative in our community. Uh, Go ahead and click on the link. It'll give you a very thorough description, much more thorough than I just gave you. And then we would ask three things of you to pray for us, to prayerfully consider giving to us and to pass the link along so others can do the same. The final link in the show notes is titled Transportation for Church Planners Jollies. Uh, Nathaniel Jolly and his wife are church planners up in Alaska, been up there for the last two years. Their vehicle has broke down. Being church planners, they are not right now drawing a salary. Uh, So they definitely need help. They need to repair this thing. Uh, They need approximately $8,000. Now, so far, they've done pretty good. They're around $7,300 last I checked, which was this afternoon, which is great. But it's stuck there, and they really need the $8,000, okay? So let's go ahead. Let's get in there. Let's get them the last, you know... Six seven hundred dollars they need and get them over that over that um that uh, that target they've set so they can go ahead and get this truck repaired and get on with things. Um, let let's definitely do it. But but again, I would say the same thing. You know, go ahead and click on the link. Nathaniel's explained things very very well over there, and then go ahead and you know pray pray for them, prayerfully consider giving to them and pass the link along so others can do the same. But let's help this brother in Christ. He is a great brother in Christ. Um truly even though I've never even met him, uh he and his brother and his brother Eki Tepsapornchai that that the two of them do a podcast together and they have truly truly fed me. Um and I'm sure he is doing wonderful work up there in Alaska with the church plant. So so let's support him if we can, okay? Um obviously prayerfully consider it. I'm I'm not trying to bind you or bind your conscience or anything like that. I'm just saying please pray about it and if you can give, please do. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and we're going to continue on our reading and then we're going to be moving for the evening segment. We'll be moving into John chapter nine, uh, healing of a blind man. So let's go ahead and open up this morning with our fifth day morning prayer. It's called the giver. Let's pray. Creator, upholder and proprietor of all things. We cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear. Allure us into thy presence, 
I'm sorry, can banish our fear, allure us into thy presence, help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed to us thy grace and mercy in the bounties of nature, in the fullness of thy providence, in the revelations of scripture, in the gift of thy Son, in the proclamation of the gospel. Make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor, but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials, but thankful for our state, and by so doing, let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right, and our morning devotion this morning for Spurgeon's morning and evening for June 15th, the text is Genesis from Genesis 21.6, and Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. Sorry, I need a little coffee here. It was far above the power of nature and even contrary to its laws that the aged Sarah should be honored with a son. And even so, it is beyond all ordinary rules that I, a poor, helpless, undone sinner, should find grace to bear about in my soul the indwelling spirit of the Lord. Jesus, I'm sorry, spirit of the Lord Jesus. I, who once despaired, as well I might, for my nature was as dry and withered and barren and accursed as a howling wilderness. Even I have been made to bring forth fruit into holiness. Well, may my mouth be filled with joyous laughter because of the singular, because of the singular surprising grace, which I have received of the Lord for I have found Jesus, the promised seed, and he is mine forever. This day will I lift up Psalms of triumph unto the Lord who has remembered my low estate for my heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. I would have all those that hear of my great deliverance from hell and my most blessed visitation from on high laugh for joy with me. I would surprise my family with my abundant peace. I would delight my friends with my ever-increasing happiness. I would edify the church with my grateful confessions and even impress the world with the cheerfulness of my daily conversation. Bunyan tells us that mercy laughed in her sleep. And no wonder when she dreamed of Jesus, my joy shall not stop short of hers, while my beloved is the theme of my daily thoughts. The Lord Jesus is a deep sea of joy. My soul shall dive therein, shall be swallowed up in the delights of his society. Sarah looked on her Isaac and laughed with excess of rapture, and all her friends laughed with her. And thou, my soul, look on thy Jesus and bid heaven and earth unite in thy joy unspeakable. All right, we're going to do our reading for this morning. Uh, We're going to do 1 Kings 14. And then verses 1 through 24 of 1 Kings 15, we're going to do the first 23 verses of Acts 10, Psalm 133, and then Proverbs 17, verses 7 and 8. So 1 Kings 14, hear the word of the Lord. At that time, Abihah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise now and disguise yourself, so that they will not know that you are the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Behold, Ahijah the prophet is there, who spoke concerning me, that I would be king over this people. And take ten ten loaves with you, some cakes and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will happen to the boy. 
Then Jeroboam's wife did so, and arose and went to Shiloh, and came to the house of Ahijah. Now Ahijah could not see, for his eyes had set because of his old age. Now Yahweh had said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick. You shall you shall say thus and thus to her, for it will be when she arrives that she will pretend to be another woman. Now it happened as Ahijah heard the sound of her feet coming in the doorway, that he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam, why do you pretend to be another woman? For I am sent to you with a harsh message. Go say to Jeroboam, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel, and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, yet you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and who walked after me with all his heart, to do only that which was right in my sight. You also have done more evil than all who were before you, and have gone and made for yourselves yourself other gods and molten images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back therefore behold i am bringing evil on the house of jeroboam i will cut off from jeroboam every male person both bond and free in israel and i will make a clean sweep of the house of jeroboam as one sweeps away dung until it is all gone anyone belonging to jeroboam who dies in the city the dogs will eat and he who dies in the field the birds of the sky will eat for Yahweh has spoken it. But you, arise, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child will die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he alone of Jeroboam's family will come to the grave, because in him something good was found toward Yahweh, the God of Israel, in the house of Jeroboam. Moreover, Yahweh will raise up for himself a king over Israel who will cut off the house of Jeroboam this day and from now on. So Yahweh will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water, and he will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers, and will scatter them beyond the river, because they have made their Asherim provoking Yahweh to anger. And he will give Israel over on account of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned, and with which he made Israel to sin. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and went away, and came to Tirzah, and she was entering the threshold Sorry, as she was entering the threshold of the house, the child died. And all Israel buried him and mourned for him, according to the word of Yahweh, which he spoke through his servant Ahijah, the prophet. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war and how he reigned, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. Now the time that Jeroboam reigned was twenty-two years, and he slept with his fathers, and Nadab his son became king in his place. Excuse me, need some coffee. Now Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, became king in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which Yahweh had chosen for all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was ne Naamah the Ammonitess. And Judah did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh, and they provoked him to jealousy more than all that their fathers had done with the sins which they sinned. They also built for themselves high places and sacred pillars, and Asherim on every high hill and beneath every green tree. There were also male, sorry, male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which Yahweh dispossessed before the sons of Israel. Now it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
And he took the treasures of the house of Yahweh and the treasures of the king's house. And he took everything. He even took all the shields of gold, which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made shields of bronze in their place and committed them into the hand of the commanders of the guard who kept the door of the king's house. Now it happened as often as the king entered the house of Yahweh, that the guards would carry them and would bring them back into the guards room. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Now there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. And Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And his mother's name was Naamah, the Ammonitess. And Abijam, his son, became king in his place. 1 Kings 15. We're going to read through to verse 24. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had committed before him. And his heart was not wholly devoted to Yahweh his God, like the heart of his father David. But for David's sake, Yahweh his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem to raise up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem, because David did what was right in the sight of Yahweh and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Now there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. And Abijam slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa his son became king in his place. Now in the twentieth year of Jeroboam the king of Israel, Asa began to reign as king of Judah. And he reigned forty-one years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. And Asa did what was right in the sight of Yahweh, like David his father. He also put away the male cult prostitutes from the land and removed all the idols which his his fathers had made. He also removed Maacah, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made a horrid image for Asherah, and Asa cut down her horrid image and burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly devoted to Yahweh all his days. And he brought into the house of Yahweh the holy things of his father and his own holy things, silver and gold and utensils. Now there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. And Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built up Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and the gold which were left in the treasuries of the house of Yahweh and the treasuries of the king's house and delivered them into the hand of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabramon, the son of Hezion, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a covenant between you and me as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you a gift of silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Baasha the Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his military force against the cities of Israel and struck down Ejon, Dan, abel beth and all Chinneroth, besides all the land of Naphtali. Now it happened that when Baasha heard of it, he ceased building up Ramah and remained in Tirzah. Then King Asa caused an announcement to be heard throughout all Judah. None was exempt, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Baasha had been building. And King Asa built with them Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. 
Now the rest of all the acts of Asa and all his might and all that he did and the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. And Asa slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. All right. Acts 10, the first 23 verses. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, and gave many alms to the people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision, in a vision an angel of God who had come in and said to him, Cornelius, and looking intently on him and becoming afraid, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is lodging with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had left, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. And while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the sky. And a voice came to him, Rise up, Peter, slaughter and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything deviled, defiled and unclean. Again a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed no longer considered defiled. And this happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into heaven. Now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but rise up, go down, and accompany them without taking issue at all, for I have sent them myself. And Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was directed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. All right, Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the good oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there Yahweh commanded the blessing, life forever. All right, Proverbs 17, verse 7 and 8. Excellent lips are not fitting for a wicked fool, even less are lying lips for a noble man. A bribe is a charm a bribe is a charm in the eyes of its owner wherever he turns he prospers all right well that is our reading for this morning thank you for spending this time with me i hope this time continues to help you to be saturated in the word of god as we all need to be i hope you have a wonderful day um, i will continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of god and i hope to see you for the evening segment
let's go ahead and close out with prayer. The prayer we're going to close out with is called faith. Let's pray. My God, I bless thee that thou hast given me the eye of faith to see thee as Father, to know thee as a covenant God, to experience thy love planted in me. For faith is the grace of union by which I spell out my entitlement to thee. Faith casts my anchor upwards where I trust in thee and engage thee to be my Lord. Be pleased to live and move within me, breathing in my prayers, inhabiting my praises, speaking in my words, moving in my actions, living in my life, causing me to grow in grace. Thy bounteous goodness has helped me believe, but my faith is weak and wavering, its light dim, its steps tottering, its increase slow, its backslidings frequent. It should scale the heavens, but lies groveling in the dust. Lord, fan this divine spark into glowing flame. When faith sleeps, my heart becomes an unclean thing, the fount of every loathsome desire, the cage of unclean lusts, all fluttering to escape, the noxious tree of deadly fruits, the open wayside of earthly tares. Lord, awake faith to put forth its strength until all heaven fills my soul and all impurity is cast out. Amen. All right. Again, I hope you have a great day and I hope to see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Thursday, June 15th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, at least I hope I do. Um, We're going to be continuing on in our Bible study. We've actually moved into John chapter 9, so let's go ahead and jump on in and open on up. Uh, we're going to open up with the, a prayer from Valley Vision like we usually do. This one is called Fullness. Fullness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thou hast revealed to me myself as a mass of sin, and thyself as the fullness of goodness, with strength enough to succor me, wisdom enough to guide me, mercy enough to quicken me, love enough to satisfy me. Thou hast shown me that because thou art mine, I can live by thy life, be strong in thy strength, be guided by thy wisdom, and so I can pitch my thoughts and heart in thee. This is the exchange of wonderful love, for me to have thee for myself, and for thee to have me, and to give me thyself. There is in thee all fullness of the good I need, and the fullness of all grace to draw me to thyself. Who else could never have come, but having come I must cleave to thee. Be knit to thee, always seek thee. There is none all good as thou art. With thee I can live without other things, for thou art God all-sufficient, and the glory, peace, rest, joy of the world is a creaturely perishing thing in comparison with thee. Help me to know that he who hopes for nothing but thee, and for all things only for thee, hopes truly, and that I must place all my happiness and holiness, if I hope to be filled with all grace." Convince me that I can have no peace at death, nor hope that I should go to Christ, unless I intend to do his will and have his fullness while I live. Amen. All right, our evening uh, devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for June 15th. The text for it is from Revelation 3, 7. He openeth and no man shutteth. Jesus Sorry, Jesus is the keeper of the gates of paradise, and before every believing soul he setteth an open door, which no man or devil shall be able to close against it. 
What joy it will be to find that faith in him as the golden key to the everlasting doors. My soul, dost thou carry this key in thy bosom, or art thou trusting to some deceitful lockpick which will fail thee at last? Hear this parable of the preacher and remember it. The great king has made a banquet, and he has proclaimed to all the world that none shall enter but those who bring with them the fairest flower that blooms. The spirits have been advanced to the gate by thousands, and they bring each one of the flower which he esteems the queen of the garden. But in crowds they are driven from the royal presence and enter not into the festive halls. Some bear in their hand the deadly nightshade of superstition, or the flaunting poppies of Rome, or the hemlock of self-righteousness. But these are not dear to the king. The bearers are shut out of the pearly gates. My soul, hast thou gathered the rose of Sharon? Dost thou wear the lily of the valley in thy bosom constantly? If so, when thou comest up to the gates of heaven, thou wilt know its value, for thou hast only to show this choice of flowers, and the porter will open, not for a moment will he deny the admission, for to that rose the porter openeth ever. Thou shalt find thy way with the rose of Sharon in thy hand up to the thrones of God himself, for heaven itself possesses nothing that excels its radiant beauty. And of all the flowers that bloom in paradise, there is none that can rival the lily of the valley. My soul, get Calvary's blood-red rose into thy hand by faith. By love wear it, by communion preserve it, by daily watchfulness make it thine all in all, and thou shalt be blessed beyond all bliss." happy beyond a dream jesus be mine forever my god my heaven my all all right well like i said we're diving into john 9 um sorry need some coffee here so we finally finished john chapter 8 um again john 7 and 8 we've seen that was at the feast of booth the feast of weeks <clears throat> and we saw Jesus's exchange, um, even his basically you almost call it a discourse because of all that he had to say to the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Um, and, and again, I mean, we even saw to the point where they were his enemies. We saw there at the end of eight, they wanted to stone him and he was able to move through the crowd and disappear. Um, so, that's where we're at coming into John chapter nine. Um, again, we're still at least a couple of months by this point. You know, we, we don't really know for sure. Um, though some synchronization of the gospels and stuff may, may put it, but we're, we're still a good couple of months, if not a good six months from his crucifixion at this point. So he's still doing his ministry. Um, and we're, we're going to see here in our 12 verses here in this section, we're going to see the healing of the blind man. Um, so, um, sorry, I needed to, I left something close. There we go. So, um, what we're going to deal with today is the problem and the purpose. Um, MacArthur actually breaks this down into four sections. So we're going to deal with the first two sections today, which is going to be verses one through verse five. So let's go ahead. I'm going to just read you all 12 verses of this. And then we'll go from there. So John chapter nine, starting in verse one, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him saying, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he would be born blind? 
Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this was so that the works of God might be manifested in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground, made clay of the saliva, and rubbed the clay on his eyes, and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed, and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, How then were you, your eyes opened? He answered, The man who was called Jesus made clay and rubbed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So when I went away and washed, I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. So like I said, we're dealing with the first five verses of this today. And this is going to cover the problem and the purpose. So verse one clearly lays out the pro the problem. So as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, of course, we don't have any real indication here as to how they know this guy was blind from birth. I, I'm not questioning the statement John made. Obviously, they do. Um, possibly there was conversation that John didn't record. They relayed this to them or whatever. And again, and again, please don't get caught up in this and, you know, run down this rabbit hole trying to go. But but how did they know? Doesn't matter. The fact is they knew. I mean, John's a witness. John, the, the apostle is a witness. He was there with him. And Jesus saw a man blind from birth. Okay. There are many, many, many ways how a man, how a man could have been born blind in that day and age. And while in some cases we have surgeries to deal with stuff nowadays, you got to understand back then, they really had no way to treat this. They really had no way to treat this at all. There was just no way for them to, to restore this man's sight. Um, there, there's no way a physician of, of any, of any way, shape or form could have healed this man. Okay. So we move on. So that there's your problem. This man has been blind from birth. It, it almost sounds like, and, and we don't really know how old this man is. Um, but he is, he is, he is an adult. At least that's what it's saying. Um, but it does remind me of the man at the pool of Bethesda, um, who had been lame for 38 years, which like I told you was probably a good percentage of his life to that point. Um, we didn't have an indication that he had been lame from birth, but the fact is with what the typical ages were in that day and time, you know, max ages were in that day and time and such 38 years was an awful long time for him to have been lame. So I, it really had to be a good portion of his actual life. So again, we see this man has been blind from birth. Um, and, and again, we don't know how old this man is and, and honestly, it doesn't really matter, but, but this man has been blind from birth. So there's our problem. But then we see the purpose. Now, again, Jesus is going to heal a blind man. That, that is our thing. Je Jesus opens blind eyes and he opens blind eyes. And we're going to, we're going to see him proclaim this is because he is the light of the world. Not just physical eyes as we see him do here, but spiritual eyes. He opens the eyes of our, the eyes and ears of our hearts. I, I actually pray that on a kind of a regular basis. I ran across that and I, I don't remember where I ran across that in scripture, scripture. Um, probably in the book of Ephesians. 
and and I was just so taken by that 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 we would open the eyes and ears of our hearts to be able to take in the word of God. So here's Jesus opening blind eyes. And in this case, he opens the physical eyes, but it's also a metaphor or, a, or an illustration of opening the spiritual eyes to truly take in that Jesus is the Christ and to truly take in the word of God and truly take in the, the miracle that is salvation for us. So again, man is blind been blind from birth. So there's our problem. So now we want to see the purpose of this man being blind. So verse two, and his disciples asked him saying, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he would be born blind? Okay. So, you know, we talked about this before. Actually, if I remember right, we talked about this back when we were dealing with the man at the pool of Bethesda. Um, and, um, I think at that point he said, um, oh no, it was went lower down through and he said, you know, um, your sins are forgiven, uh, lowered the man down through the roof. So that was actually in John chapter seven. And, uh, you know, the guys, the, the, the religious leaders that were there were going, Whoa, wait a minute. Who's this guy talking about forgiving sins? And so we talked about at the time that, that this culture very much had a culture, had, 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 had a tradition of the fact that maladies, trials, whatever, were directly tied to sin, that they were directly tied to sin. And and they had enough. And I, and I showed them to you at the time. Um, there were more than a few times where God afflicted people because of their behavior. Um, and what I brought up, Miriam, Miriam, the sister of Moses, when she, when she, um, talked badly about Moses wife and then, um, rebelled against Moses authority. Um, God afflicted her with leprosy or something that looked like leprosy reflected her with leprosy. So the old Testament tells us, um, we saw, um, Gehazi, I think his name was Gehazi. Um, and I think it was that he served Elijah. I think he served Elijah. I think that's right. And I'm sorry if I'm incorrect, but it was Elijah or Elisha, but I think it was Elijah and Elijah had, um, Elijah had, um, told Naaman, um, who was the commander for a king in Syria or king in Damascus, I think. Um, and he was the army commander and he had leprosy. And so Elijah had told him how to heal himself. And so he finally did and was healed um, to go and wash in the Jordan river seven times and all that. Um, and he came back and wanted to pay, wanted to reward Elijah and Elijah wouldn't take anything. Well, Gehazi turned around and, um, surreptitiously dishonestly went, went to Naaman as he was already down the road and said, Hey, wait a minute. You know, my, my master has had people show up. Nobody had ever showed up and we could really use this, this, and this for these people to bless these people as they move along. Well, there were no people. He just wanted it for himself. Well, he came back, went to store it away for himself. Elijah knew what he had done, and Elijah called him out on it, and he was struck down with an illness. So God did do that, okay? So, so you know, it, it's really easy to go, wow, these guys are stupid. No, they're not. I mean, I mean, there, there, there really was some history to this, but there really were just some some assumptions that that, that they made these assumptive leaps 
Um, and it's not just the disciples. Believe me, the culture as a whole was looking at this blind man that was having to beg and everything like that. And and in all probability, th- this guy was probably somewhere near the temple because best place to beg, busiest place, people people going in there to pray and repent and and you know beg forgiveness and that kind of thing. Who better to hit up for money? You know, I mean, seriously, just pure business for the, for the for the beggar. And if, if you're blind, you can't support yourself. He's having to beg to be able to survive. Um, so again, though they don't say that here, that's just kind of a fact. Let me drink here some more coffee. But so, so them asking this kind of question is not really as far afield as we would think. But they are making some bad assumptions here. And and again, we we see. So we also have to see, though, in the book of Job, where it becomes very, very clear that his three friends, and I'm doing air quotes here that you can't see, but his friends make clear that this must be the most, I mean, by the things they say, and they don't flat out say this, but it becomes very, very clear that they must think that Job is the most sinful man there ever was because he is being struck down um, in a worse way than anybody else ever has been, really. But God calls them out and says, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're fools. And I'm going to ask Job to pray for you because he is a righteous man. He is a truly righteous man. So so there really isn't a direct tie. Again, I'm not saying that God has not struck those who, who had sinned. Yes, it has happened. It, it is documented in the scriptures. It is documented in the scriptures. But these guys are then making that jump that, well, if this guy struck with, with blind from birth, basically congenital, what's called congenital blindness in our vernacular, um, either he or his parents must have sinned. Now, again, yes, there's some history there. So, so let's look at the two cases. So if his parents sinned, him being struck, well, if he didn't sin, why, why would he be struck? However, Again, we, we can look at the, the first child of David and Bathsheba, and and God struck that child with illness, and that child died. Um, so, you know, but but it wasn't that child's sin. So so there 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 is some precedent for that, um, for them to possibly think that. Um, but then there was also but so but but if it wasn't the parents then it must have been him. But in this case, he would have had to have sinned in the womb. Now, honestly, in that, in that day and time, there were certain traditions there that thought that that was possible. Certain philosophies, particularly from the Greek side, that thought that that was totally possible for the, for a child to sin in the womb. But, but still, um, and, and we see it again, um, where, People are concerned about um, Galilean blood having been included, um, and I forget the whole story. But then, then Jesus even brings up, "So what? You know, those people that the Tower of Siloam fell on are they any, any more sinful than anybody else? You know, it's Jesus really called. You know, it's we understand why they're asking it, but the thing is, they're making some assumptions here. And and um, actually, I forget what the fallacy is. It's basically an either or fallacy." It's you're 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 saying it's either A or it's B when the fact is it could be C D E and F 
and you're not including them. So, so it's not, a, it's not, it's a fallacy here. This isn't a valid comparison, you know, rabbi, did he sin or did his parents? Well, so Jesus answers them in verse three, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this was so that the works of God might be manifested in him. Now, please don't misunderstand this. This is not saying, and, and, and I read through this a couple of times from a couple of different commentators, and they are very, very clear. No, God did not strike this man at birth with blindness so that 20, 30, 40 years, however old this man is at the time this happens, down the road, Jesus might come along. This man was struck with congenital blindness, and God used that through the work of Jesus Christ and the miracle Jesus is about to perform to manifest the works of God, to manifest a miracle, to truly show the glory of God, both to this man and to those around that are going to see it. This man been blind from birth. I can't even imagine to have been blind from birth and not to see all the beauties and colors and everything that you could only hear. And in adulthood, and again, 20, 30, 40, however old this man is, for your eyes to be opened, how amazing that must be and how much that must glorify God for him to do that. So Jesus makes clear, but this was so that the works of God might be manifested in him. Then Jesus goes on. We must work the works of him who sent me. So work the works of God as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. What he's talking about here, when he's saying, as long as it is day, we must work the works of God, the works, the works, work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. He's talking about as long as he is still there with them, as long as he is still there, as long as he has not yet been crucified, they've got to do the works of God. Thus, why this is here. And he's been brought because the fact is this man could have been congenitally blind and Jesus could have never run across him. But Jesus was put, God put Jesus there at this time to run across this man, to heal him, to manifest the works of God, to show the power of God, to show Christ's deity, okay, to show God's mercy. So they must work the works of him who sent, sent, God, sent Christ as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So night is coming. The reference being that when he is crucified and he ascends, when no one can work, a time is going to come when God's glory is no longer going to be shown. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't mean never. What I'm saying is we're not going to have these amazing miracles and people going around. You got to realize Jesus and all of his healings, it was by word or by touch. It was by word or by touch, and it was instantaneous. What he's saying is night is coming when this work will not go forward. While this work will not go forward. Not, not that the kingdom work will not go forward, but there will be no more of these miracles. Don't get me wrong. We see in the apostles in the beginning of the church there in the first century as the apostles continue to preach after Christ has ascended and Paul goes to, goes to show, we see Miracles happening, even healings happening. But once those that first generation there of apostles and stuff are gone, the miracles are gone. So night is coming when no one can work. 
Verse 5, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now again, so so we've seen this statement before, but please let me tell you. So while he's in the world, he's talking before his crucifixion, he is the light of the world. He's saying he is bringing the light to the world. He is lighting it up while he is in the world. Okay. But let me be clear. So when we saw this phrase before, I am the light of the world, we talked about it, that it was, it, it, there was the ego aimi at the beginning, the ego at the beginning of it. So it was one of those big I am statements. This does not have that in it. This is, this is a different type of phrase here. But what he's trying to say here is that while he is in the world, he is lighting this world. He is providing the guidance. He is shining the light so that those can follow the path to salvation, so that they, so that they can see that path to salvation. And the inference is that when he is gone, again, night is coming when no one can work. Um, not that the not that his light will not still shine. Again, that doesn't mean that the light of Christ just disappears. It has been manifested in the church for the two thousand years since two thousand plus years since Christ ascended. Okay, but the difference being, when he was in the world, the light shone bright. You ever sit there and, and take a lamp with a very bright bulb and no lampshade on it? How bright that is in a room! I mean, it's almost painful. And then you put a shade down on it, particularly if you put a really thick shade down on it and how it dims up the light. That's what the world's like now. The light is dimmed. We don't have him directly. We have the Holy Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit helps to clarify for us and clarify through the whole, the Holy Spirit working through us to understand the word of God. And that helps to light the world, but it's a dimmer light. Um, uh, times I've had to go out in the backyard, especially if I've had a dog that's having issues or whatever, and I need to know what's going on. And I'm not going to explain that any deeper because I, any of you that have dogs know what I mean. If I've got a really bright flashlight and stuff, I can see pretty clearly. I make sure I don't step in any bombs and, and I, and I can see what's going on and I can see clear, but you ever go out there when either you got a very dim flashlight or a very small one, or you're having to use your cell phone light, which some cell phone lights are actually pretty bright, but the difference between a big, bright, high beam light and a cell phone light, think of the difference there. That's what we're talking about is, so he's like, while I'm here, I'm the light of the world. And we've got to do this work while I'm here, while it is still day, because night is coming when no one can work. Night is coming when I will not be here to continue these miracles and continue showing my, through myself that I am the Christ, the Son of God, that I am deity, that I that I am the way to salvation, that 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 I am your Messiah, that that I am the one that that provides, that I am the good shepherd, that I am the way, the truth, the truth, and the life. He won't be here to show that anymore. And thus it'll be dark and night will be there when no one can work. So he's saying, we've got to do the work now. And that's why he's saying, this is happening now and this is happening here so that I can show you this because, because in general, I'm running out of time. Not that he really is. The fact is, this is all happening like we talked about um, last night when I was talking about the fact that Jesus slipped away from them that wanted to stone him because it wasn't time yet for him to be crucified. It wasn't time yet for him to be put to death. So we're still on that divine timetable. But again, the time is short. 
The time is getting short before he's going to be crucified. And he's continuing to try for those that will listen, for those whose eyes and ears of their heart are open, he's trying to get the gospel across. He's trying to get the message across. And in this, in the healing of this man who's been blind from birth, he will continue to show that he is the Christ, the son of God. So as the, as the gospel of John's purpose is, as we see in John 20, verse 31, so that all these things are written so that we would believe that he is the Christ, the son of God, so that in believing we would have life in his name. That's, that's what this is for. He's trying to show them that he is deity. And believe me, while some of the average folks and all may take this positively, believe me, we, we've seen through John 5 and 6, that, that, that grouping of arguments, and John 7 and 8, and that grouping of arguments with the religious leadership. This is going to start another one. This is going to start another one. They are not happy about it. They, they, this man is continuing to make them the fool without trying. I mean, believe me, he, they don't need any help. All he is doing is doing his father's work. He's doing God's work, but they don't like it. And we're going to see as we move on through John chapter 9, they are going to be angry. All right. Well, that is our Bible study for the day. We will pick up uh, God willing in John 9 verse 6, where we'll we'll end up seeing the miracle. Um, and I forget that. I'm sorry. I don't remember the alliterated. So we saw the problem in the purpose today. I don't, I don't remember what, the, what the next two are. Um, like I said, I use MacArthur's cause it's just easier that way. I'm not claiming any, any that I created them or anything. Maybe it's lazy of me. I, it really kind of is, but honestly, life is just so busy. I'm doing the best I can to try to do a good solid Bible study for you. So, Again, we will come back to this tomorrow evening, God God willing. Um, let's go ahead and close out with our fifth day evening prayer. It's called protection. Let's pray. O Lord God, thou art our preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quieten our souls to call upon thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith. Promote in us spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye and prepare us to receive the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease that we may value the good physician. Placard to us the cross that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. Help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our tempers, diligent over our hearts. When we droop, revive us. When we loiter, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith, which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, hope through faith, perceiving nothing in ourselves. May we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right, again, thank you for spending this time with me this evening. I, I hope this continuing Bible study helps to edify you and equip you and help you to gain a deeper knowledge of the Word of God. Um, I hope to see you tomorrow, and I hope you have a wonderful evening. Good night, and God bless. Thank you.